HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And uh, about seven or eight years ago, I finally got around to getting my wisdom teeth removed. My dentist had been on me for years, years, to get them all out. He said, you have to get all four of them out, that they're impacted, they're sideways, they're stuck in your jaw. It's like a really big problem. He said, eventually, they would push my other teeth forward destroy my smile, mess up my jaw, create festering pockets of disease under my gums. You know, my whole bottom jaw would fall off. All kinds of misery and horror stories. So I'm not sure if I believed him then or even if I still believe him now. I mean, if we have wisdom teeth, if they're a a remnant of our past, like, you know, like our appendix, and originally there for a reason, then why do we have to take them out now? If they've become redundant, just leave them, right? Even if they serve no purpose. Anyway, I didn't believe his fear-mongering, but he kept pushing me to do it. And so finally I said, okay, I had the insurance, I'll, I'll do it. And, you know, I guess I helped the oral surgeon, you know, pay for his new BMW that year or something. You know, it was a little mitzvah. And I got all four of them taken out at once because the guy warned me. He said, if you do two at a time, you'll never come back to do the other two. So I did all four. They were fully bony impacted. That means they're sideways stuck in your jaw. So I had to have general anesthesia. There were saws involved. It was incredibly disgusting. When I woke up, I had bruises on my thighs from where I think the surgeon must have like planted his elbows on my legs so he could get a better grip. I don't know. Either that or I was like beaten or molested while I was under anesthesia. I mean, I'll never really know for sure what happened. Anyway, after it was over, I went home and that's when the swelling began my face swelled up so much that I looked like Martin Short's character Jiminy Glick 
You may not remember Glick. He was this talk show host character whose face was just sort of one giant wall of swollen flesh. Like he had no indentation under his chin. Just went straight down. I sort of felt like that. Or I was like a balloon in the Macy's parade. My face was so swollen. My cheeks were so ballooned out that I felt like if I stuck them with a pen, I would go like flying across the room. But the swelling was not even the worst part of it. What was worse, what was going on inside my mouth... I don't know if you've had this done. But I'll spare you like the most horrifying details. But there were these four gaping holes in my jaw in the back. Holes that needed to heal, of course. And took their time doing it. And created some really horrible, disgusting sensations and effects in the process. That's all I'll say about that. So, of course, during all this, I couldn't eat anything. Nothing. Liquids only. The first couple of days. Really, well, Vicodin only, you know. First couple of days. Liquids. Then they said, okay, after a couple of days, you can just switch to purees. And even after the gaping chasm holes in my jaw healed, it was weeks before I could actually even open my mouth wider than to like slide a spoon in there. You'd think I would have lost like 20 pounds, but it didn't happen. So anyway, the night before I was supposed to have it done, I thought, oh, I'll be smart and I'll plan ahead and I'll get ready and I'll make some food and things that I can puree and, you know, get set. So I made some chili thinking I could puree that and I think I made some soup and I went and I bought little boxes of pudding instant pudding now I know what you're saying the foodiness alarm is going off but I have always loved pudding especially instant pudding and foodiness is allowed when you're about to have your jaw sewn open it's one of the extenuating circumstances it's like if you're in an airport and you're starving and all you can find is like a protein bar or a muffin, that's what you're going to eat. Or if you're, you know, hungover and all you want is a burger, things are allowed. There are extenuating circumstances. And, you know, if you're sick or you're hurt or you don't have the energy or something like that, or certainly foodiness is allowed, like, you know, if you're in a fallout shelter after the apocalypse, I mean, you have to eat something to keep you alive long enough until the radiation levels go down. So similarly, if you have jaw surgery, foodiness meal replacements are okay. But things like pudding. Now, even for me, it was okay. I could eat the pudding. And I figured I would puree the chili so I could get some nutrition. And, you know, the surgery was basically just a reason for me to eat instant pudding. And But not thinking... I bought pistachio because that was always my favorite pudding. But then I remembered that pistachio has little bits of nuts in it. Now, actually, those are not actual pistachios in pistachio pudding. Did you know that? Those are little bits of almond that they dye green because apparently dyed green almonds are cheaper than pistachios. FYI. Anyway, I barely ate anything those first couple days. Like I said, just Vicodin. Then I got up to liquids and then I pureed the chili and I attempted to eat all that. Well... When they said purees, I think they meant like true purees, things like, you know, milkshakes, not pureed beans and peppers and ground meat and not pudding with little bits of green almond in it. So there were some issues with the little bits sinking into the pockets and then having to get them excavated. And I'll just I'll stop it there. You don't need to hear about it. And actually just talking about it, it's sort of making me sick just to relive it. So. Anyway, if your dentist tells you to do this, get a second opinion. Trust me. So when I was thinking about this week's topic, which is meal replacement or meals can't be replaced, of course, the wisdom teeth week of misery came back to me in a wave of sensory nostalgia. I had to replace my meals with something. 
back then that week. And in my food-centric way, I just figured, well, I'll puree real food. Take a meal, puree it, replace the need for chewing with just swallowing. To me, that's a meal replacement. You're sick, you're injured, you can't eat. So you turn your real food into manageable food, and that works, and that's okay. But what's not okay are the millions and millions of different products out there, like shakes and powders and bars, that claim to be better than an actual meal, replacing meals with products, with foodiness, replacing the hassle and calories of an actual meal with an easy fix. So whether it's for weight loss or weight gain or for fasting or for purging or for bodybuilding or for kids who you have paranoia, they're not eating well, it's all foodiness. It's all fakery and chemistry in a scoopable powder form. I mean, for what other reason would you need to replace a meal other than if you couldn't physically eat? What is a meal replacement? I mean, meals are meals. Meals can't be replaced. What are you going to replace them with? Paper? Chairs? That's like saying, I need water. But I am going to get a water replacement instead. Water's too much trouble. Or I need to breathe to survive, but I don't feel like breathing air. I'm going to get an air replacement. Or, I need friends and parties and a social life, but I'm going to replace all that with Facebook. Holy crap, I just realized Facebook is actually the social media meal replacement. That just came to me. Anyway, it's a meal. Meals can be a lot of different things. There are a million zillion different combinations of foods that you can put together and create a meal. But you can't replace the meal with something that's not food. It just doesn't work. It's basic physics. You can have something else altogether, but call it that. Don't call it a meal. Call it a shake or a bar or a powder or a gel. Call it a pre-made frozen dinner, a hot pocket, a microwave burrito, a packet. Call it an IV. Call it an injection, a supplement. But it's not a meal. It's not a meal. Sorry. Nope. Not a meal. Calling those foodiness products Meal replacements is more of that Orwellian newspeak that I talked about a week or so ago. Call it a replacement, and that's how it's perceived, regardless of what it actually is. You just keep saying, meal replacement, meal replacement, meal replacement. And people go, oh, yeah, meal replacement. It's a meal. It's not food. It's okay. It's the same thing. It's okay. It's the same thing. And now there's foodiness meal replacement for kids also. That's what this stuff, Pediasure, is. Sure of what? That's what I want to know. You know what the ingredients in Pediasure are? My trusty research assistant found out for me. The first five ingredients in Pediasure are water. Well, water's not so bad. It's not food. Sugar. Corn maltodextrin, which is sugar. Milk protein concentrate. Okay, that's food. And vegetable oil. Those are the first five ingredients. And then about 35 other added chemicals and synthetic vitamins and taurine, which is what they put in sports drinks and could potentially be very hazardous to your health. The first five ingredients are kind of the same mix of what we feed to our livestock in order to get them really fat and grow really fast so we can send them off to slaughter. Is that what we want to do to our kids? But parents are so paranoid and so clueless about food that they feed their kids these cans of liquid garbage to supplement their diets of solid garbage. You're not eating enough crap. Let me give you a can of crap, too, because I'm nervous. Have you ever seen that ad for Pediasure where the kid's playing on the field and he's dressed like a giant French fry? And the mother's like, 
Billy's been a little sluggish lately. And the other mom goes, maybe you shouldn't be feeding him fast food. Maybe you should give him a can of Pediasure because it's water and corn syrup and vegetable oil. It's better than fast food. But anyway, kids' foodiness is next week's show, so I'm going to hold off on that for right now. There's much, much more, so much more on that to come. And I hate, well, I really love, but I'm going to say I hate to keep bringing it back to drugs because, you know, I love my drug metaphors, but it's just so perfect. I really, you know what? I have a problem. I can't help it. I am an addict. I am addicted to drug metaphors and I am admitting I have a problem, but it's just so perfect. Meal replacement. It's like methadone. It's the meal replacement of heroin. Yet again, like with all the foodiness doppelganger products, just eat the meal, not the shake or the bar or the frozen pre-made entree. Forget the methadone. Just do the heroin. You ever see someone on methadone? They get all of the same side effects of heroin, like falling asleep on the sidewalk and drooling while they talk, but they're not having any of the fun of heroin, or at least the fun you get, you know, the first year till you become a serious addict. Then you should just stop. So what's the point? Just do the heroin. Maybe if you had no teeth or you had swallowing issues or you were sick, then I could see it. You would need something to help you out. Like my friend Josh, who I worked with, who unfortunately at 38 had a stroke and a brain hemorrhage because he was living on crap, basically. And after his stroke, he couldn't swallow at all. He had no ability to swallow. And he couldn't breathe on his own either after a stroke. But eventually he learned to breathe again. They took out his breathing tube. And then he had to learn to feed himself again. They took out his feeding tube. But he had to learn to swallow. Could you imagine at 38 having to learn how to swallow all over again? And because this is Foodiness America, and that, hap- that you know includes our hospitals, really hospitals are probably the most foodiness-infused places, So in the hospital, to teach him to swallow, they could only feed him things that were thickened purees. And so they gave him these, like, disgusting packaged, chemical-laden, pre-thickened juice and milk. It was like sludgy apple juice and sludgy thickened milk. So he could learn to swallow chemicals instead of food. And then once he got off those liquids, they put him on purees, and they gave him pureed turkey loaf and pureed green. I don't even know what it was. It was green. I was there one day and I was helping him eat and I couldn't even look at it. It was the kind of stuff that was much more likely to put you in the hospital. And he, of course, couldn't eat it because he's a chef and has been a chef for years, worked at Nobu, knows food. He couldn't eat it. It was too disgusting. If hospital food is supposed to, or if being in the hospital is supposed to cure you, then shouldn't the food also make you feel good and happy and well-nourished? So that your emotional state heals too? How about that brain-body connection, people? What Josh really wanted was Greek yogurt and honey. That's all he wanted. So everybody from work, whenever they went, we would bring him Greek yogurt and I would bring him honey from my bees. And he's doing better. He's coming along, I have to tell you. Also, there is this baby product now on the market that I totally approve of. It's a form of baby food which I would generally say is like first-degree foodiness. But it's just straight-up pureed fruits and vegetables in these little reclosable, squeezy pouches. And those were actually perfect for him because he could feed himself that and he could work on his grip, and they tasted like real food. It was just like pureed carrots, pureed apples, not 
pureed disgustingness. So anyway, I could see meal replacement for someone like that. You know, for somebody like Josh, post-stroke, yeah, you need to replace the meal. Or me, post-wisdom teeth. But that's it. The idea that people use use meal replacement powders and shakes and bars for nutrition is just ridiculous. It's beyond ridiculous. What's the word beyond ridiculous? I can't even think of it. It's so ridiculous. Food is nutrition. Real food. That's what nutrition is. Using shakes and powders for weight loss instead of food may work in the short term because you're fasting, basically. But once you go back to eating real food, unless you've actually changed your ways and your portion sizes and learned how to cook and feed yourself, it's not going to work. And you generally gain it all back, plus more, because most likely, since you're just reverting to your old patterns, nothing's going to change. You're only replacing the meals. You're not replacing your brain or your behavioral patterns. It doesn't work that way. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, more about replacing meals. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at surreyfarms.com or virginiatraditions.com. So meal replacement isn't about food. I mean, foodiness is never about food. Meal replacement is certainly not about food. It's not an easy alternative to food because it's not food. It's foodiness. Prefab, manufactured, chemical and industrially made foodiness. And it may even be the absolute worst kind because it's not even pretending to be food. Right? It's foodiness that's not even pretending to be food. It's like intentional fakeness. It's replacing food, not even trying to be food. I'm saying this over and over because I'm trying to wrap my head around it. It's like you're saying, I can't handle the responsibility of real food. It's too hard for me to deal with. It's too inconvenient. It's scary. It's adult. I don't have the ability or the skill on an emotional or physical level to process it. So I'm just going to drink powdered formula. Hey, kind of like a baby drinks powdered formula. And the foodiness industrial complex totally agrees and they want to help you. And they're happy to fill that need for you. They'd rather sell you foodiness shakes and powders and bars than carrots and chickens. The profit margin on the shakes and powders and bars are way higher than on the carrots and the chickens. Without all that pesky growing and raising and killing and chilling involved. Like feeding babies. Just give them, you know, you just give them formula or food from a jar. No messy boobs or actual food involved in that process. And as far as I'm concerned, well, actually thinking about that baby formula, I mean, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it's all about. It's baby formula for adults. That's it. 
It's regression, isn't it? It's a way to leave behind the adult world of food and feeding yourself and return to an infantile lifestyle. I can just mix up this powder and put it into an oversized sippy cup and put on my snuggly and get on the couch and watch Real Housewives and regress back to the life of an infant. I think that's what it is. No food, no responsibility for myself. Just put my nutritional needs into the hands of the all-loving, all-caring, all-knowing Mega Food Corporation mommy and they'll take care of everything. I don't have to take care of myself at all anymore. And as far as I'm concerned, meal replacement isn't just about the powders and shakes and bars. It's about convenience foods, too, like frozen microwavable foods or HMR, HMR, home meal replacement. I remember about 10 years ago, people saying, HMR, that's the new big section of the food industry. HMR, that's what it's all about. Or like those companies that now, they have these in New York, companies that'll bring you your juice If you're on a juice fast, they bring you little bottles of juice for your juice fast. It's like a whole bunch of toddlers. Just like mommy bringing you your little bottle of juice before you took your nap. Except now the little bottles of juice are made from kale and soy protein powder to replace your meals. Oh, here comes the juice truck. The juice truck's coming. Well, you know what? One of my students did one of those delivery juice fast programs. And she got E. coli from those juices. Because it's all raw, and it's all coming in from mass-grown organic fields out in Mexico where they're using poop as fertilizer. I'm not saying you shouldn't eat vegetables, of course, but you run the risk when you're concentrating that much raw produce into one place. Any little E. coli in there, you're going to get it. She got it. You see what happens when you mess with the rules of nature and you try to replace the natural order of things? So I'm thinking that maybe we now need to replace meals with, I don't know, with something else. I'm thinking I just lost my place. That's why I'm saying this. Oh, my God. Where did I go? Oh, here it is. So I'm thinking that maybe we now need to replace meals because we don't even know what meals are anymore. Or when we're supposed to eat. Because America has basically become one nonstop food grazing buffet. And nobody knows what or when to eat anymore. There's so much out there, no matter where you go. So let's break it down. Let's talk about what a meal actually is. Well, you know, first of all, we know it's food. A meal is food. Like protein and vegetables and starches, you know, like growing up, like chicken, broccoli, and potatoes on a plate. Well, that's a meal. A couple different kinds of food. Put them on a plate. What's in a meal replacement? What's in the shakes and the powders? Well, this is what's in Pediasure. Let's start with the kid version. The kid version, Pediasure, here is what is in it. Water. First ingredient, water. Sugar. Milk powder, oils, and synthetic vitamins and minerals. That's what's in Pediasure. Some are soy protein-based and have no milk products. Some are dairy-based. That's what you're feeding people when you're giving them these shakes in a can. And some of the bodybuilding mixes, you know, those big tubs of powder, protein, those bodybuilding power sports drinks have very high levels of lead 
in them too. The lead is because you're putting so much concentrated protein in it and it's coming down through the food chain. So much lead that when Consumer Reports did a study and tested all of these different products, they said that in the state of California, which requires notification of lead in products, they technically should carry a warning label for lead content. Now, all the products are basically just a mix of protein and fats and sugars, like food. Proteins, fats, and sugars. That's what food is, basically. The protein, like I said, comes from either milk or soy. The fats come from vegetable oils. And then there's a lot of sugar added to make it palatable. And then they throw in all that foodiness nutrition so that people think what they're getting is better than food. Basically, they're being brainwashed with these products into thinking that they're better than old-fashioned, messy, inconvenient food. Which, of course, begs the question... Is a meal still the same thing as when we were kids? Maybe it's not, and we need to replace the meal. Maybe that's what's going wrong. Well, your basic meal. Here I am sitting at Roberta's. Let's look at a pizza. You got your protein. You have your starch. You have your vegetables. You have your milk products. Still a meal. Maybe now we add in dessert. We always add it in dessert. I mean, when I make a meal, I try to make it, you know, a couple of vegetables, a little protein. I usually go kind of light on the starch, but, you know, it's a meal. I do try to sit down and eat an actual meal on a plate twice a day, if I can, three times a day, if I really can. But if meals today are not that, what we sort of think of as a meal on a plate, sit down, eat it with a fork. If meals today are things more like hot pockets or microwavable pancakes, then it's actually not that big of a leap to imagine some powder replacing a meal. Do you remember when the Flintstones met the the Jetsons and they went into outer space and they had dinner at a restaurant with the Jetsons and the meals came and they were little pellets and it was an entire meal in a pellet? Maybe whoever wrote that episode of the Flintstones was actually seeing into the future. Because basically now we're so far down the foodiness rabbit hole that powders can be successfully packaged as a replacement for a meal. Replace breakfast, replace dinner. Remember Carnation Instant Breakfast? It was a powder to replace a meal. I mean, even in Soylent Green, which I love to bring up, Soylent Green, even Soylent Green actually technically was food. It was made out of people, but people are animals. So technically it was actually an animal product. And they made it into convenient chip form, so you still had to chew. Replacing a meal with foodiness means also that, of course, you're going to lose out on the experience of what food is. Make anything for dinner. Broccoli, beans, lamb, fish, pasta, carrots. And it's a sensory experience. You can touch them and feel them. You can smell them. They're beautiful. They're formerly living things that provide for you this like incredible sensory and physiological experience from the second you pick them up in a store or a market to as you prepare them and then as you eat them and then when you're done and you're done and you push your plate away and you can appreciate that sensory experience. A powder or a bar or a shake full of chemicals will never give you that sensory experience, but it can ensure you, ensure you, that we'll forget what that sensory experience is like, which means we'll continue to believe that the plastic low-calorie chicken doppelganger can replace the chicken because it's only one step up from the powdered form of that meal. And if the sensory experience is lost, then you also miss out on the value of that meal, the food value 
of the real food. And I think actually that's why some people may like it. I think it's like it's very Catholic in a way. It's like denying the body and all that Catholic stuff. I would, you know, I'm Jewish. We're not about denying the body. That's for sure. But maybe it's this, like, oh, if I deny myself the sensory experience of food and I just drink this chalky powder to get enough calories just to subsist, then I can control my body and all of its messy hungers. Is that what it's all about? I mean, that's kind of what eating disorders are about. Is it about sublimating sensuality or sexuality? Making yourself invulnerable to the hungers and desires of being human? the messiness of it all? Or are we just lazy and we just can't be bothered to cook? Maybe that's what it is. Like I said earlier, it's one thing to use meal replacement products if you're sick. You've had your wisdom teeth out. You're in the hospital. You've had a stroke. You can't chew. You can't swallow. Or if you're hunkered down in your bunker post-apocalypse for six months waiting for the fires outside to stop burning. But it's quite another thing to use them as a crutch because you're too fucking lazy to cook food that 50% of the world would give their left walnut to have access to. Or what's even sicker is to avoid food altogether. Like emaciated American women who are so rich and so spoiled that they can choose not to eat food at all as some kind of fashion statement. Oh, she's so ascetic and she's so evolved and so thin. She's transcended the need to eat completely. They do it as a fashion statement. I mean, Karen Carpenter did that. Look what happened to her. Now you do it, it gets you onto the red carpet, and then it gets you into a size zero casket. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, a little more about this. So I have another former colleague who I won't call by name since she's still a friend of mine. But she left her job teaching at the culinary school where we taught a few years ago to take a position as an R&D research and development chef at Unilever, which is a massive multinational global corporation that makes all kinds of food and foodiness products and all sorts of other things, too. She did it because she really needed more job security more money, better benefits. I mean, I can't blame her. She has three little kids. Her husband had lost his job. You know, fine. Sometimes the corporate life provides a lot more for people than what we in the semi-corporate life have. She needed to do what she had to do. And she's a brilliant chef and very creative and very smart and a great person. And I love her. So she went to Unilever and her job there now is to develop Bertoli frozen pasta meals and Bertoli sauces in jars and home frozen versions of P.F. Chang's entrees. Yep, home frozen versions of P.F. Chang's entrees. So her job is all about foodiness, developing it to appeal to the mass American palate and then figuring out how to turn that stuff into frozen packaged meals that you can have from your freezer onto your plate in less than five minutes. And this is a woman who cooked at Danielle. So sometimes she needs outside sources or outside help. So sometimes she uses me as a verification source. Like when they were developing the P.F. Chang's entrees, one of them was called Shanghai Style Beef. And the FDA says that if you're going to label something 
X style from somewhere, you need to have an outside expert verify that it actually is definitely in the style of whatever that place is. So I got shipped a package of that Shanghai style beef. I cooked it up. I tasted it. I did a little research online and I wrote a letter saying, yes, indeedy, it tasted like Shanghai style beef should taste. It had the same flavor profile. I sent the letter back in. A couple weeks later, I got a check for $500. Yes, I was a whore to corporate foodiness for a quick five bills. And future sponsors who may be listening should take note of that. Even I can be bought. But she loves her job. It works for her. And the crazy thing is about her job. I mean, her job is about developing products to appeal to almost the most lowest common denominator. But she gets to fly first class all over the world, tasting and researching and eating at top restaurants for inspiration. So she goes to Spain and eats at El Bulli because it's inspiration for when she comes home and develops the next sauce in a jar for Bertoli. I don't understand that. Take me with you. And then they come home and they turn those inspired ideas into the newest frozen packaged dinner. I mean, I guess if you're going to sell your soul to the devil, which is basically what she did, you may as well get a lot of frequent flyer miles out of it and get to sit in the first 10 rows of the plane on your way there. And what she's doing is developing what I was talking about before, which is home meal replacement or HMR. And, you know, it's a really big part of the industry now. It's huge, but at least those are meals that people are replacing at home with food, albeit foodiness food, but not that last desperate step, which is the powder form of the food. What's much worse, of course, are the bars and the shakes and liquid meals. Like I said, they remove you from that food experience. I think it's sort of like, it's like looking at the sun. You look at the sun long enough and you go blind. At least that's what our moms always told us. If you eat bars and shakes long enough you'll lose your ability to even recognize food when you see it. You won't be able to see food when you see it or know what to do with it. And by the way, Unilever is actually the company that brings us slim fast. And you know what? I've been guilty of it too in the past. When I was in high school, I ate my share of lean cuisine. You know, my mom became a single parent and she was at work and we were always trying to lose a few pounds. So we pull out a box of orange glazed chicken and fire it up in the microwave. Once in a while, of course, not every night. And now I know better, obviously, way, way, way better. But I've been there. It was easy and convenient. Easy and convenient, I think, is what we should start printing on our money. Instead of e pluribus unum, easy and convenient. That's the American motto. So sometimes, just for research sake, I like to walk through Trader Joe's. I like Trader Joe's. I buy some stuff there. They have some good stuff. I like their yogurt. I like their laundry soap. They have a huge selection of frozen meals. Have you noticed that? Probably. And some of it looks actually really good and really interesting. And I have been tempted, let me tell you, I must say. Now, I heard somebody recently call Trader Joe's Lonely Joe's because they sell so many single-serve packages of food to people who live alone and can't be bothered to cook. Now, who would? I know, when I lived alone, who wants to cook for yourself? I'd rather eat single-serve microwave chicken tikka masala or pre-cooked steel-cut oats or chicken with the grill marks printed on it. Sometimes this stuff is just easier. I know. And it actually all looks kind of good to me, which is scary. And funny enough, another friend of mine from the industry is the person who developed a lot of that stuff for Trader Joe's. 
a lot of their packaged foods. But, you know, for me, it comes down to trust. I would trust a farmer who grew a bunch of kale for me more than I would trust a food corporation who's taking the kale and turning it into some kind of processed packaged meal replacement. Corporations are not people. Despite the prevailing common thought, corporations aren't people. Farmers are people, of course, unless they're corporate farms. And why do we even need to replace these meals? What's wrong with meals? Nothing at all if they're made from real food and not foodiness. And maybe people do cook. And if you do cook, and I know there are a lot of people out there who cook, I give you massive props, (laughs) props, massive props and massive credit. But the people who don't cook, who say, well, why should I cook? There's all this stuff out there. If they do decide to cook, who are they looking to as their role models? People on the Food Network? I'm looking at Paula Dean, the chain-smoking diabetic. Maybe that's why we need the meal replacements, because we need to counteract the food that we're eating. Maybe the food is so bad that now we need to balance it out with food replacement. Is that the future of America? Can you eat and live like Paula Dean and then fix it all with some kind of shake? Maybe the shakes are going to become the medicine. Maybe if you drank too many shakes to begin with, real shakes like milkshakes, then you need a different kind of shake to fix you. Like I ate too many vanilla shakes from McDonald's all my life, and now I'm obese and diabetic. So let me start drinking this other shake that'll help me lose the weight. It's just like the methadone I was talking about. You sub out one drug for another drug. If the real shake is heroin, is a slim fake shake, slim fast shake, slim fake shake the methadone? If you drink too many shakes, you get obese, you're diabetic, you can drink another kind of shake to fix it. Is there a shake for diabetics and also a shake for chain smokers? And then a shake to drink when the chemo destroys your esophagus and they have to remove your tongue from the oral cancer from all the diet soda that you drank? Can you swallow a shake without a tongue? So, of course, the reality of it. If you want to lose weight, eat real food, but eat less of it. If you need to gain weight, eat real food, but eat more of it. If you want to build muscle, maybe increase your protein slightly and go lift a bunch of weights. If you don't have time to cook, of course, and a lot of people don't, at least order in or get some kind of real food, real meal replacement manufactured product. Even if it's, you know, second or third degree foodiness, at least it starts with food. Don't eat a bar. Don't drink a shake. I was on the subway coming over here today. And I saw a woman eating a balance bar. I really wanted to, like, throttle her. What are you doing? What are you doing? There's so much food around. At least get your pre-made meals from a good source, like Trader Joe's or, like, Fresh Direct here. They sell good home-delivered meals. I mean, at least that stuff began as real food, real food. But the sort of real, real, let's get real takeaway of this is that the ultimate virtue of foodiness meal replacement, the actual sales pitch, is that they're based on convenience, Drink the shake, you don't have to shop or prepare anything, and you get an instant result. Whereas if you go the real food route, you have to buy something and prepare it and peel it and cook it and whatever. And real food doesn't promise you instant weight loss, 20 pounds lost in a month or 20 pounds of muscle gained in a week. You know, fruit and vegetables and meats, they don't really come with those kinds of promises. They don't have to say that stuff because that's what they've always promised. The promise has always been there. It's unspoken. It goes without saying. And the carrot growers lobby doesn't have the same ad budget as the slim fast lobby. 
So, of course, it's going to be less convenient, you know, but think about it. Do you really want to be like those people on TV in the ads who hold up their gigantic old pants and they're standing in the middle of those pants? I don't think so, because they don't show you that the next week those people are fatter than they ever were when they started. And they went so far down the rabbit hole that when they landed at the bottom, they were so fat they couldn't get back out. So, anyway, we seriously need to get real about this, and we are seriously running out of time on this show. So, I just want to talk about one other quick thing, of course, and that is Special K. Now, when I was a kid, Special K was what you ate because you wanted to lose weight. And so, you'd eat a bowl of Special K, and in about 20 minutes, you'd be hungry again. So, I never really understood how that worked, but now Special K has a whole system There's Special K water and Special K bars and Special K shakes and all kinds of Special K products. So you can be totally immersed in Special K-ness. And you know I love my drug metaphors so much. So I think if you're really trying to lose weight, you're probably better off with the real Special K. Ketamine, the animal tranquilizer. It would just dope you up so much that you wouldn't even have to think about food anymore. It would make you not care about meals. You'd never need to eat. And that's what I call meal replacement. But until we get to that point, you need to keep listening to Let's Get Real. Because if you don't want to eat shit, the only thing to do is to listen to this show. And next week's episode is all about kids and kid foodiness. About feeding your kids cheese, not string. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.